Hallelujah. Thank you, worship team. Wow, we had a pretty busy week. I don't know about you. Probably with kids being out, you guys didn't have much to do at all. No sack lunches to make. No, yeah. So we did a uh, renewing of the vows for uh, Mark and Tammy. Medals, they're right here. Yeah. So uh, I thought that was that was pretty cool. What do you think? They come dancing in. We held the con- the people out in the in the foyer, and then they came into a dancing. You know, I think it was what was it? Was it? Uh, Everybody dance now. You know that song? Dun, 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 dun. Come on. So they got with it that way. And uh, even though then they came into a different one. You came into, what song did you come in? The guest came in. Yeah, I like to move it, move it. You know that song? Yeah. We like to move it, move it. You know how that goes from the Madagascar? Yeah. So it's pretty cool. We were, and then sunglasses and all that. You know why? Because they can. You know, if you're not into that, doesn't matter. It's not your day; it's their day. See, and and what we do is we need. That's kind of breaking out of the mold. Who's putting you in that mold? I think mold is good because it 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 it, it says mold is this structured and formed, and mold is also eh. It means stagnant and dead. Right? Don't want any part of that. So I think sometimes we have to break the mold. See what I mean? By the way, Kevin, we were just saying, Arlene said to me this morning, what did you say? Where you are at, Arlo? She, she's in the back. She's with the kids. Did she jump you? She's, I said, you know what, honey? I said, more than likely, we're going to see Kevin in the morning. Yeah, Kevin's been uh, kind of because you have a house in Steubenville you're dealing with, and then one you're remodeling in Bel Air. Is that right? So Kevin's been, and, and Arlene said yesterday, because we pray for you guys, and we we, we try to have you on our hearts. You see what I mean? And so what happens is, um, I said try because I don't always do so good, okay? I'm just being honest. But God will bring people to our hearts, and all of a sudden then we see. And it's just like, so I told Arlene when she said, well, I haven't seen Kevin in, in a while. And I said, you know what? I said, don't be surprised if he's at church. She probably thinks I called you and said, yo, you better be here. But it's not the way it works. So that was happening. Yeah, that's right. We just got that. God put that. It's called impetus. The impetus. You know what that is? Kind of like a desire. It's something that he puts there. You didn't drum it up of your own. He put it there. He plants it. It's kind of the seed of the Lord. Amen? So um, let's see. For Todd and Tricia, probably, you want to stand up there or you want to come up here? Todd says, I'm just getting to know you, dude. But So this is uh, my daughter, Tricia, if you don't know. And um, then this is Todd. And they just yesterday at Brewster's ice cream place up in Washington, PA, um, got engaged. How cool is that? Now, I've got to just tell you something. I've got, I want to be careful here because that's my daughter and, and future son in love, as we say, don't we? So uh, what happens is, is that it's, a, it's an amazing testimony because what it, it represents is many times what we find God doing is takes two broken people and he brings them together and between them, they, they're like, a, they're like the, the epoxy. They're, that's what God wanted to bring, two components together and then actually activate what they're supposed to be. And um, for me, it blesses my heart because Trisha, because of 
her life and things that have happened in her life was resistant to marriage. Some of you, if you asked her about marriage, she would have told you, you know, emphatically no. And um, not quite rude, but she would have gotten. And so the truth is, is that uh, uh, it's a good thing about Christ in Todd. He grew up Southern Baptist and uh, down in Georgia. And um, he's rededicating his life to, to Christ. And um, truth is, is what I've loved about Trisha, and she knows it, so I know I'm not embarrassing you, baby, is that she's always stayed. She's never gone totally away from God. She might have in her actions and some of the ways she's choices, but the truth is she's not become hardened toward God. That blesses my heart. And it's an example for all of us. Parents, some of you have known that. You've had kids who, who wandered away. You've had kids who have stayed away for a while. But we've, we've prayed and we believe that we've called them from the east and the west and the south and the north. And folks, the, the thing we have with God is that he always has open arms for us. He's always ready to receive us. So I'm blessed, Goose, by you in that you've, you've stayed close enough to allow God to speak to you and to do the things he wants in your life. So let's uh, thank God for his grace. So thank you. So that's Todd and that's Trisha. And some of you might be thinking, I think we're talking about like an August wedding, right? Melanie, that might only be, I don't know if yours was shorter than that or not, but it doesn't matter, does it? Here's what happens is the world comes against, and there's all kinds of reasons why you can fail. There's one reason why you succeed. That's the only message. He's for you, and if you'll be for him... You'll find he's for you, and he'll help you sort out all that other garbage that can come your way. You get it? It's him. It's all about him. My life is in you, Lord. Amen? So um, in this case, they're getting married, I think, August the 18th might be the date we're looking at. And, um, you know, we're looking at, we've got to deal with that stuff, but I think I'm going to walk my daughter down the aisle. Amen? And if... Someday I'll let her tell that story, but she can tell you about some of the things why that's so special, you know. Used to crush, remember Stephen Curtis Chapman? There's a song he does called Cinderella. Oh, boy. I would hear that song, and now it makes me want to go there. See what I mean? But it's the idea is that what he recognizes is we don't always have them. We don't always have them like this too soon. And no longer do they run to, to daddy, they run to somebody else. And we stand there and we want to applaud from the distance, but we really want to, we want to still hold them like that. And so, you know, hold on to the things that God says in his word concerning you, concerning your family, because that's what we hold out for, is there's a day of, of, of redemption. There's a day where God takes and he restores and he renews and he reconciles and so I just want to give that as part of the, the shout-out, if you will, to this. So I get to walk her down the aisle, and we're going to work on Joel. Should uh, He's awaiting his credentialing, his final process there. Um, so we're thinking that Joel might perform part of the ceremony for his sister. How cool would that be? So if you have this book in front of you, if you don't have a Bible, but if you have, um, if, so if you don't have a Bible, then you can get this book. It says it's called the book, which is the Bible. Um, I'm going to just give you, for those who need it, um, and I'll give you this one too, but this is on page 1201, 1200. 
So does somebody need a Bible that you don't have one? You can use this one. It's marked for you where we're going. We're going into 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy. I got rather short word, I'm going to say, because we don't have all that much time anyway. So it's an exhortation that I've had on my heart quite a, quite a bit all week long. There's, uh, there's a couple things. One, we've got uh, scripture that's in your bulletin, which I don't even have the bulletin, so may I just look for a second and I'll... Yeah, you should give me... Yeah, you be the, my bulletin girl. So you see it in your scripture. You see it in there. Um, it's printed out. Okay, good. Thank you. Second Timothy, it's also in here. It's, it's in what, what I call it's New American Standard. That's a specific type of version or translation of the Bible. Um, you might have a different one, and that's okay. Um, we're going to put on the board, we're going to put a, I believe it's a connected scripture. It's, it's a sister scripture to this, if you want to call it that. And that's in Acts chapter 6. So you can go there, but that's going to be up on the wall. So uh, let me start with, uh, with 2 Timothy, though, chapter 2. Uh, this is written by Paul. Paul is, uh, it's given, he's the apostle who wasn't with Jesus, but he had a revelation of Jesus. It was called on the road to Damascus, and his name was Saul. And Saul was actually trained up. He was a Roman citizen, but he was also one that he was trained up under a rabbi. Gamaliel, I believe, was the name of the rabbi. So he had both religious education. He also had prestige of being a Roman citizen. And so he was actually one of the, uh, he, was, he calls himself a Pharisee of Pharisees. So he gives his qualifications and everything. But here's the, the truth is, when the Bible gives us an introduction of Saul, it's that there's this guy named Stephen who is being stoned. And they brought the coats of those who were going to stone Stephen and they laid him at his feet. And, and it says, the scripture in the book of Acts says that Saul was in hearty agreement with the stoning of Stephen. So we're actually tying in that part in Acts chapter 6. We're going to talk about Stephen, so we understand that element of it. But here's the deal. Paul, or Saul, was a persecutor of the way. The Christian faith was originally called the way. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So early Christianity was not known as being a Christian. It was known as being part of the way. So if you were of the way, that would have ascribed and, and identified you as someone who's following after this Jesus who was the, the one who was crucified. So Saul has this, this, this epiphany. He has this moment in God where he's riding and they've gotten letters to go out and, and to literally drag people out of their homes, people of the way, get to, to drag them out and to bring them for, for being tried and persecuted. And so he's on the road to Damascus, it says. Meanwhile, El Zappo, he's got this humongous bright light and and he's blinded and he's literally, he hollers out, he knows immediately, he actually says, Lord. He actually cries out and says, you know, what, what, what is it? Who are you? He cries out and he's got some knowing of this automatically. When God's dealing with you, you'll know it. See, when God's gonna speak something to you, when God wants to... He wants to chastise us. He's doing it for a redemptive purpose because he loves us. So when he does, even if you're unsure of exactly what's going on, you'll know the source. His source, when God does something in your life, he might bust your chops here, 
But he doesn't just take you down there and leave you. What he does is it's always redemptive, which means he's going to raise you up out of that place. So if he takes you into the grave, it's so that he can, he can give you a resurrected life. That's the way you can tell the difference between the devil who is against you and God who's for you. When those thoughts come and they condemn you and they put you in there, then if it leads down, it's not him. If it leads up, it's him. Now, you've got you to gotta go the course. You've got to be able to determine not just from the first feelings of, gosh, this is painful and this is woeful and I don't like this. You've got to fight beyond that and see the purpose. If you respond to God's discipline, to God's voice, what will happen is it will lead you to seeing things that you never saw before. So Saul was blinded, and he's led then to this guy named Ananias. And it says of Ananias, he knew who he was. He says, the angel, you know, when God tells him, you're going to pray for this guy, Saul, he says, no, no, wait a minute, I know who he is. This is the guy who is, you can't trust him. He's going to come in here, and he's going to persecute me. I might be the next guy to get stoned. And so what happens is, is that he's, he's wanting to know, no. And, and here's what God says. He says, you just go ahead and do what I'm telling you to do because I'm going to use him for my purpose. Do you know that's God's edict over every one of our lives? He wants, he, wants the, he wants the veil lifted off of your eyes and off of your heart and off of your mind so that you can actually come into doing what God wants for you to do, what he wants you to accomplish. Do you ever notice that's why it says be transformed, not conformed? Bible says, Romans 12, right? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Why? Because you grow up and and we've got everybody telling us what we should be, how we ought to live our lives, tell us even what we can do and can't do. And what we need to do is be able to go to the source and say, what do you say? What do you say? And if you'll do that, we'll be in a better place, right? Better standing. Okay, so get on with it. So here we got him. He's blinded. Ananias says, okay, you know what you're doing. So he comes in, Ananias prays for him. What happens, remember? It says that something like scales fell off of his eyes. He could see. Do you have scales on your eyes? Sometimes we do. I wonder if it's like barnacles on a boat. You know, you got to go out there and scrape them off every now and then. You know, what happens is we need to be able to be sure that we're seeing what God wants us to see, that our eyes are open. And so what happens is, is that these scales fall from his eyes, and it says that he ate, was strengthened, and immediately began to proclaim Jesus Christ. Wow! From being a persecutor of the way. So what happens is God changes his name. He's no longer Saul, but now he's Paul. Still got the same history. You ever notice that about us? We still got a history, don't we? We still got things that in our past, things we're not necessarily so proud of. We got things that we got to see fixed. See, things we're trying to still grow are out of and distance ourselves from. But truth is, that's part of your testimony. Because if if you're willing, God won't leave you and abandon you to the flesh, to those things. He'll raise you up and give you a fresh start. He'll give you definition for your life. He'll give you purpose, see? So here we go, ready? You therefore, my son, Paul writing to Timothy, Paul was never married. That's tradition is that he was single. He writes a little bit about that in Corinthians in chapter uh, 7. He talks about the idea of, uh, you know, having wholehearted devotion to God. So he, he says, I wish that you would remain even as I am, but nonetheless. 
It's better to marry than to burn with passion, all that stuff. So here's the deal. He doesn't have a son of his own, but he calls Timothy his son in the faith. And that is simply like what I would like to be for any of you. I'd like to be your daddy in the faith, if you will, or I'd like to be your brother in the, in the faith. I'd like to be someone who's a confidant. I'd like to be someone that leads you and guides you toward righteousness and toward God's holy purposes. Some of that's based on me and some of that's based on you. See what I mean? That's how the relationship works. But Timothy was one with wisdom, received that Timothy, that, that Paul was going to be this one who imparted truth to him who would help train him up in, in godly ways. And so that's what he says. You, therefore, my son, when he says my son, he's speaking of spiritual son. I'm taking you under my wing. I'm going to train you up. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. One mark of, of this relationship is that He'd been around Paul, not just one preaching, not just a matter of one day, not just that he had certain things. He really knew Paul as Papa, and he could relate and translate, and he would give you the same kind of advice that Paul was. And that was important to Paul because Paul can't be everywhere at the same time. And so what he does is it really is a matter of your own personal disciple, moms and dads, grandmas and grandpas, you have disciples right there within your own boundaries. Some of you are bosses. Some of you are supervisors. Some of you have influence over, over others. Guess what? You're a disciple maker. That's what God has for you. He wants you to impart the righteousness of God, the very lessons he's given you, the wisdom he's given you, the holy aspects of teaching that you know how we ought to live our lives to be pleasing to God. He wants you to be imparters of that. He wants you to challenge status quo because status quo is no longer righteous. You see what I mean? Status quo has gone the way of wickedness. It's gone the way of the flesh. It's gone after own desires and cravings. See, so what we have to do is when somebody's telling a dirty joke, we got to stop them in our own presence. We got to say, no, no, wait a minute. Don't talk like that in front of women. Don't talk like that in front of children. See, we got to be the ones that, that will rise up in the midst of that to be an imparter of truth. See, not as the world wants truth, but as we know truth is. It's righteous and it's holy. It's blameless. It's perfect. And even if we're not perfect, we can be the imparter of he who is and that which is, which is the word of God. So it says, the things which you have heard from me, if you go to Joel, most of you know this, you could ask Joel certain questions about faith or about morality or certain choices, and you'll hear him almost sound like me. You would think it's one and the same. Now, that's a high honor for me, and I believe it's very wise of him, and I believe that it's a matter of what God has given him, and you know what? It's not my truth, and that's why you'll hear the same thing, because it's the truth. So it doesn't matter who it comes through. Kevin, I hear certain things out of Kevin that he begins to know that he, he's telling me, and we're having dialogue, and we're, we, we, have the same, we have the same answer. Why do we have the same answer? Not because of personality not even because of education. It's because of the knowledge of this word, which is God's word, and it's a word which doesn't change. That's what we're supposed to get a hold of is not the wisdom of man, not the wisdom of this world, not the wisdom according to Confucius or Socrates or Plato or anybody else. It's the wisdom of God right here in the word of God. So it says here, 
you are to, what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. That tells you that to be, to be able to teach others, you've got to be for, found faithful first. And that's what happens is with, with, with Paul, when he sends Timothy out, he's not worried about what Timothy's going to say. He's not worried about his weirdness. He's not worried about the things that he's going to make up to, to make life fit his own way. Instead, he knows what he's going to say. He knows he's going to be faithful and true to the word, and it's not my take on it. It's not my belief. It's not kind of my, well, you know, this is kind of how I feel about it. No, it's not any of that. It's like, here it is. There it is. It's black and white. It's really not all that difficult because if nothing else, when it comes down to understanding the Bible, you have to take it, and the the, the test is God himself and his character. See, his righteousness. If it stands up to that, that's what it is. It's not according to, well, I can have several wives. <laughs> I, I get to do. How do we get cult leaders with that stuff, folks, if we'll just go back to the Bible that makes it very clear what we're supposed to be and how we're supposed to live our lives? And the reason we don't is because we start living our lives according to our likes and our dislikes instead of according to a one truth. And that's why the Bible is one truth for us. Here he is. He says, teach these also to others. You can't determine your own faithfulness. Do you know that? Do you know that? You can't say I'm faithful. What kind of judge are you? Come on, give me a break. You know what you need? Somebody else to be able to say. I wonder who that is. (laughs) They're telling me to... uh, They're telling me I should be done with church by now. (laughs) We're getting close. Yeah. I just want to challenge that. I'll have to call him after church. I didn't recognize the number. I didn't hang up on mom, okay, just so you know. Here's why you can't determine your own faithfulness. Because we think more highly of ourselves than we ought to. Do you get it? I mean, come on, I want to be seen that way. But the truth is, when I'm under the microscope from heaven, he shows me who I really am, and I find myself sometimes just despicable. See? I find myself going, oh, wow, yeah. Mm. I'll do better, really. I will. How long does that last? So that's why his mercies are new every morning because we need new mercies. You get it? I need them every day. I need new mercies, see? So here's the deal. It's in your bulletin. What would your boss, coworker, or friend say about your greatest strengths? Remember, uh, how many of you do that in interviews? You've interviewed and they said, well, tell me what are your three greatest strengths? Well, I'm faithful, I'm reliable, and I'm dependable. I'm a self-starter. I'm highly motivated. I'm diligent. I mean, come on, all the things that you could possibly say about yourself, and half of them, at least, are probably a lie to some degree. Really? But you're supposed to put your best foot forward, so that's what you're doing. Well, I'm pretty much a genius. I should have your job. What would your boss, coworker, or friend say are your greatest strengths? If you'll ask them sometime, you get aside and say, what do you think are my greatest strengths? Now, you know what's coming next, don't you? Yeah. What area do you think that I could use the most work? 
Boy, you don't want to just throw that out there for anybody. And you want to guard your heart when you do that. You want to be able to say, wait a minute, I want, I'm asking you to, in love because I don't know if I can take what you're about to tell me. You know why? Because you sort of know what's coming. Don't we all know? Without somebody poking us in the eye, we kind of know. So what would they say about us? And one thing is, is help me to be more faithful. That There should be a cry for every one of us because that is one of the high marks that God says he would give. If you're faithful with little, you'll be given much. So see, between that one and this one right here, impart these two faithful men who are able to teach others also. Here we go. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. See, some of you are called to be soldiers. If you go on down, verse 5 says, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer ought to be the first to receive his share of the crops. See? So you end up with, you've got these three illustrations. One is of a soldier, one is of the athlete, and one is of a farmer. All distinctly different, see? The athlete is very much for himself. He's looking for the prize. He's looking for the crown. The soldier is one who's willing to lay down his life, if you will. He's come to a point of sacrifice. He's willing to, to, to live just like our military does today. They're laying down their lives. They're putting themselves in harm's way for you and for me. See? And then the farmer, he's in it. Let's call him the entrepreneur of the bunch because he's going to sell his crops and he ought to get a share of them himself. So it's more about his benefit. So you've got the three examples in there of what, what they are. And God says, according to this, suffer, be this way. Some of what we're called to do means that there's some suffering that comes along with it. And yes, if, if you prosper, you just might be willing to, I'm sorry, if you're if your harvest, if the seed you sow, if it, if it comes to fruition, you might just benefit from it. See? But the idea is the farmer who sows more than a little patch of garden. Some of you have gardens. I think you're, you're what are you doing this year? You said cucumbers and tomatoes, Greg, and what else? Some onions. A few things that he really wants. Other stuff he'll go to the farmer's market and buy. But he used to do a pretty sizable garden. Some of you still do. Probably Helen does, don't you? you got a big, sizable garden. But your garden isn't big enough to feed all of Shadyside or all of Belmont County, you see. So why would a farmer have acreage and, and have to deal with that? Because part of it is, is thinking about other people. See, it's, it's, yes, I'll make some money, but the truth is I'm doing it because I believe it's a good cause, and we're supposed to cultivate the earth, and we're supposed to produce from it, and it blesses other people, see. So the truth is, is that you're living your lives, if you're a soldier, if you're an athlete, if you're, if you're a, a farmer, for a bigger purpose than just yourself. So then he ends it up, and he says, the way he finishes it is, consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. He'll give you understanding in everything. Now look at chapter 6. I just want to tie it together before I close. Chapter 6 of the book of Acts. Is that what we're putting on the wall too? Okay. It says right on the wall, if you don't want to follow along, you can see it in your Bibles. The reason I like you to look at it in your Bibles is to realize those aren't the words that we've created. They're God's words. At this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews. 
against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. So the twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, It is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. The statement found approval with the whole congregation, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, uh, Prochorus, uh, Nicanor, Timon, uh, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. How about everybody repeat those names with me? No. And these they brought before the apostles, and after praying, they laid their hands on them. Now, here's what happened is they said, there's certain things that have distracted all of us that we find ourselves getting involved in. And it's almost like in Timothy with the good soldier who doesn't entangle himself with this life. We get all entangled and we get into all kinds of other things that sometimes it's hobbies, sometimes it's interests, sometimes it's do good things that we think we ought to do. Sometimes it's because we can and so we jump in and we saw a need and we're going to meet it. And sometimes what we need to do is say, wait a minute, what have you called me to? Am I a farmer? Am I an athlete? Am I a soldier? Am I to be one of these faithful men? Am I supposed to be one who devotes myself to what part of life? See? And so in this case, it says, if you'll devote yourselves, he wants, they want to put somebody else in that. Now, not just anybody. They've got to be these people. They've got to have some, some qualities about them. They've got to have some, they've got to be there, have the good reputation. They need to have the spirit of God and wisdom. See? So it's, it finds this approval, and they appoint these guys. The good thing is, is when you start out, you could say, oh, gee, somebody's serving a bunch of old women some, some food. No, it's bigger than that. Do you know why? Because out of that group is this guy named Stephen. And do you know what Stephen, what happened with Stephen? It's, it's in the following, it's in verses 8 and following. It says he begins preaching, and he begins to instruct, and he actually gets stoned and killed because of, because of the fact that how he's articulating the truth that caused people to get mad at him. See? So here he is. You're not stuck when you become one of these positions of serving in the, in the church and doing things that are seemingly meaningless. It's important. It's necessary. And it also frees, frees the pastor up. It frees the leadership up so that they can do what they're supposed to be doing. So yesterday we had a bunch of guys out with their weed whackers and along the hillside and everywhere else. And you can see where we left something for somebody to finish out on the corner. That was just about you who are able, get out there and and do it. Why? Just because it'll make it look nicer. Part of it's a fellowship. Part of it's us doing something. Part of it, those who helped, you felt better because you were here and you did something. You didn't feel like you're a great, you know, preacher and you're not of this and you're not of that, but you can use a weed whacker. So you did. That's no small thing. It's a big thing. Didn't keep me from being out there, but at the same time, we did what we can do, right? Here's what happened. Look at verse 7. This is the reason that we do this stuff, folks. The word of God kept on spreading, and the number of the disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests, even, those religious fanatics, were becoming obedient to the faith. Do you get it? 
So what it does is when you have disciples and when you're a disciple and when you're in a process, what you do is you allow the Word of God to spread because then you're committed to something bigger than yourself. You're surrendered into a purpose, and the, the kingdom is a purpose. And then you find that there's no small task. So if you're a farmer, if you're an athlete, if you're, if you're a soldier, if you're just going to be somebody who's a paper pusher, if you're going to be on the side mowing the, the lawn, that's all substantial and it's important. It's, it's important for you to live a life that reflects Christ so that other people will see that in you and want some of what you got. You know what else it's important? It's important for what Janet's doing right there. Thank you for that. Did you see what she's doing? Big smile was on her face. Do you know that you're supposed to be one who reveals the glory of God? Part of that glory is the joy of the Lord. If you're all depressed and if you're all downtrodden, then you know what? You need to get a little filling of the Holy Spirit. You need to come to a place where you'll get some of the satisfaction that God has for you in your life. He doesn't want you to go around with your lip dragging on the ground. He wants you to have the joy of the Lord. Why? Because if what you're doing brings so much pain and agony, why would anybody want that? Oh, can I be a Christian like you? Well, what if I'm just stuck like this and I can't help it? Let me tell you, brother. Let me tell you, sister. You can help it. I've seen you laugh. I've seen you laugh at dirty jokes. I've seen you laugh at other things. Don't tell me you don't have joy. When you come down and if all you've got is a burden that leads you to this, well, you don't understand because the Lord's giving me travail. (gasps) Just to weep for everybody else. The only way you can ever sustain in that is to know the joy of God in the midst of it that can give you the place of resilience with travail. Do you see? None of it's down into the pit. Why does Jesus say, when you fast, guess what he says, remember? Don't go around with the long, sad face on and make it to where everybody knows, oh, I see he's fasting, stay away from him. (laughs) Instead, it's like, hey, you want some cake? Um, nah, th- no thanks. Oh, come on, it's really good. Yeah, that's okay. Go ahead. You eat mine, would you? Don't, don't, don't let them know. Grease your face up a little bit. See? So guess what? The challenge, the charge, especially teens, we're getting ready to launch them to camp, is when you go there, here's what, here's what God go, gave me the, during worship. There's no wasted moment, and there's no wasted movement. Folks, whatever you'll do, if you'll seek to do that for the glory of God, he doesn't waste anything. There's no wasted moment. There's no wasted movement. See? So when you write a little thing, and it's an encouragement note, that seems very small. It's very personal. It's just between you and one other. That is significant in God. That's what he has for it. When you offer up an encouragement, when you lay hands on somebody, when you come along and give a hug, See what I mean? A hug is significant in God. Why? Because he knows what that person needs. And if you have that impulse, without weirdness now, then it could be a God moment, and he's looking for you. I love the idea, guy to guy, gal to gal. You know why? That's really safe. Don't have to worry about me hitting on you. You see what I'm saying? Don't you, creepy. See? So instead, now what happens is, Papa, yes, I feel that. You know I feel that. But here's the deal. If you see me courting Mom... That's whack. 
See what I'm saying? That's, there's no way that's okay. I can encourage you. I can strengthen you. I can tell a whole lot of things about you. One thing I can't do is there's, there's a limit here, see? But look to where I can minister. How can I minister to somebody? How can I? You know what minister means, don't you? Everybody's thinking I'm going to give you the real dictionary definition. How about love? To love one another. That's what, when you minister to the Lord, you love Him. When you minister to one another, it's based on a love foundation. Something that, it, it, when, I, when I get done with you, you're going to be blessed. You're going to know you're blessed and I want nothing from it. I don't want a pat on the back. I don't want my rewards here. I'm doing it just because God put that love in my heart. And that's the way it's going to work. I'm going to ask you to end with this. We've got teens we want to send out of here. I'm going to have you come up here and just nest right here. Would you do that? Just nest right there. We want to pray for them. I'm going to ask you, you see it in the bulletin. It's hard to read. I wanted to make it that way because we don't do anything easy. So it says in there, if you'll read, it was a coded message that I got. They tore it out of a magazine or something. Can you read it? It said, we'll be receiving a special offering today for camp. See it? You've got to look at it. It's really special. Pray about how you are to help. We have several needs, including gas, money. Thanks in advance for your kindness. Okay? So if you have kindness, we could use some in the baskets. We would want you to help us. We've got scholarships that we do. We, we, the gas money going back, over there and back, and so we, we just need some help that way. We never let money be the uh, deciding factor. That's why they're all going, irregardless of the money that we have. Amen? So, let's pray. Hallelujah, Jesus. Well, I'm impressed, God. I'm impressed because of these kids that you have handpicked for this week. And there's no, uh, no wasted moment. There's no wasted movement. They're going to be uh, walking in the steps that you ordained. They will be learning. They will be groomed. They will be challenged. God, everything that you want to accomplish in their lives, we agree they're on the path for that. We thank you for the leaders among them. I thank you, God, for those who will be the, the staff and counselors who will impart the imparters of wisdom, those who will be disciple makers. And, God, they'll be stuck with each other all week long, and it'll be a good holy stuck. So we thank you for that, God, and the relationships you're going to cultivate Thank you, God, for, uh, for the work that you're doing in each life. We thank you, God, for the privilege it is to have them among us, to have the opportunity to, uh, to express your love and your truth to them. And we bless you, God, and we thank you that every part of their trip is covered, that, God, just like they are, that you hold them in the palm of your hand. So, God, thank you for the trip there and, and their time. Thank you for the camp and Todd and Julia. We ask for everything that needs to happen to function just uh, just perfectly. And we thank you, God, for them. We bless God those who are giving this morning and those who don't. We bless God uh, that uh, you have uh, given us this opportunity to worship today with one another, that you're helping us to extend our hearts. You're helping us, God, to love like you love. And we thank you for each and every person here today. I ask God that you will take the the truth of your word and help us to to meditate upon it, help us to, to think about it, to consider it, and live our lives in light of it. And we thank you, God, that we're becoming obedient to the faith. In Jesus' name.
And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Anything we need to 